Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today our passage comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 110. We'll read the whole psalm uh, and, and we'll just talk about some application. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the whole wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. If you've ever tuned in on a Monday, you know that Chris um, dedicates Mondays of our podcast to the Psalms, so you've probably heard uh, different categories of Psalms being spoken of. Uh, This is a royal Psalm, so there's some discrepancy. Is this Psalm being a royal Psalm? It's called a royal Psalm because it's clearly talking about uh, a king in some way. Uh, either taking the throne or kind of giving this, you know, kind of commencement uh, address of how he needs to act and behave. Uh, it's a royal psalm in that regard. Uh, you could compare it to like Psalm 2. That's the first really big, long, royal psalm. It's got a lot of interesting things. That, and Jesus quotes that psalm as well. Uh, we also have here in Psalm 110, this psalm is quoted a lot in the New Testament as well. It's even used in the Gospels to show uh, who Jesus truly is, to give Jesus' identity. There's a really good book called The Birth of the Trinity by Matthew Bates, who is a Church of Christ scholar. And he writes on how really the doctrine of the Trinity came to be. And it was because of verses like this in the Old Testament. Let's read Psalm 110 verse 1 again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And what Bates proposes is that when the Jews were reading their Old Testament, especially after Jesus has come on the scene, this is how they would often kind of uh, defend the Christian faith. They would go to their readings of their Old Testament books and see that there was something going on in the way, specifically in the Psalms, of how David would prophesy about this coming Messiah. And so in instances like this, y'all ready? This is a really good, long uh, theological word that you can say to make yourself sound smart, even when you're not. That's what I do. I take some big words. I try to use them a lot. It makes people think you're smart. All right, you ready? Prosopological exegesis. I guess it's technically two words. That's how smart I am. thought it was one word. Two words. Prosopological exegesis. And it's just this idea, the basic idea of this is that while David is 
currently writing about himself in Psalm 110. He's also, there's kind of like a double fulfillment thing going on, and it's because Christ in the Spirit is speaking through David, allowing him to write about himself as well as write about Christ. So you're not only getting this double fulfillment, but it's kind of like this circular reasoning about who's writing what to who. Christ is going to use these verses in the Gospels. The Hebrews writer is going to use it several times in the book of Hebrews to say, look, this is about the coming Messiah. Now, whether or not this psalm was actually used then, it doesn't matter. If it was used in this way when it was written, it doesn't matter. Because clearly that's how we can interpret Old Testament scripture. Is that now that we know who Christ is, and then we know that what Christ has done, we can now see all of scripture through the light of who Christ is. And that's a beautiful thing. It really makes scripture alive, a living thing, that it can be newly uh, interpreted through the lens of Christ. So that's kind of an aside. Let's look at the actual uh, verses. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power, and holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of our youth will the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. You can separate the psalm into two parts verses one through three, and then verses four through seven. If you look at verses one, in verse 4, you're kind of getting this charge of Yahweh that if the king would come and align himself with Yahweh, that all of these things will happen. Goodness will come about him, and you're going to have a victory over your enemies. And that's what the larger section, verses 4 through 7, is really about, is having victory over enemies. Let's read verses 5 through 7 again. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Uh, lifting up his head has not just kind of messianic connotations, but uh, there's kind of a there's there's kingly connotation. There's also eschatological connotation. There's just a lot of in that in that one phrase. But what we get beforehand, it's almost uh, an interesting um, kind of technique to look at what is promised to this king and compare it to the things that Jesus will then endure. Because, like you know, Jesus did not come to earth for kingship. He came to actually be a suffering servant. And, and it's not till after that suffering that he then assumes kingship. And so when you look at things like Okay, so the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. None of the kings that uh, that Jesus faced, none of these uh, government leaders, none of these religious leaders were destroyed. They actually all lived longer than Jesus did. And actually, in, in the confrontations that uh, they and Jesus would have, they normally come out on top, right? Jesus is finally crucified. He doesn't have this shattering of his opponents. He doesn't even get to execute judgment at this time. When he comes to earth, there's no judgment yet. Judgment, he promises judgment later on. But in his coming now, it's, you know, come to me, you who are heavy laden. It's, it's a totally different role than this kingly figure that Psalm 110 
shows us. Uh, there's this really graphic section in verse 6 where it says, and he's filling the nations, filling the land with corpses. And Jesus comes to bring life. Uh, you get this kind of reduplication. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook of the way. It's uh, there, There's some comparing and contrasting that can actually be done with what Jesus did when he was here on earth versus what this uh, earthly king would be able to have when they align themselves with Yahweh. Now, it's after the suffering that all these things can be fulfilled in their literal sense, the literal usage of these words in Jesus' kingship. Uh, we have, our Christianity can become very, uh, it can be all about sophistry. It can be all about rhetoric. It can be a very individual uh, religion. It can be a quiet religion. But all of those things are very counter to what Jesus gives us. Jesus' kingdom is not quiet. It is not silent. It's misunderstood. It's small. It's what you might think is insignificant. But the, the rhetoric with which it comes, what it promises, what it... Um, what it, what it, the way it tells us to live our lives are very counter to quietness, to stillness. Uh, but yet those things are involved in our faith, aren't they? It, it's a very interesting paradox. Our faith cannot be simply uh, put into a box of individual religion, unlike most of the other individuals in the world, because of ideas and concepts like this is that our king does come to destroy other kings. He does come to lay waste to other kingdoms. Our king does come to give judgment. All of those things are true of Christ. Just he is the, he is the one who comes to, to bring peace, and he does uh, come to bring rest and life on the same side, on the, on, on the, on the same coin on the other side is his judgment, is the only way to the Father, is through the Son. We have to be able to hold those two truths together. I hope you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways this week. I also hope that in everything you do, you are able to see, recognize, and live in the fact that Jesus is our King. Peace and love.